writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for Answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity, passion, and humor. This group is the Right Pack. Welcome to the Right Pack. This is David Allen Lucas, your host, and today we're going to talk about genres in the mainstream. Is it what? What does it mean to be a nerd, a geek? What does it mean to be a fan of a particular genre? With us today is my co-host. Hi, I'm Kathleen Kayembe. I write uh, gay fiction under Kaseka and Vita, the pen name. And I am totally a geek, and I'm excited for this. Fedora Amos, and I'm an old geek, I guess. <laughs> I don't see any other possibility. And I write Victorian whodunits as uh, Fedora Amos, of course. And my protagonist is not a geek. She's a regular kind of person who happens to be a amateur sleep. I'm uh, Matt McGraw. <clears throat> I'm an amateur writer of mostly short stories, and I'm also working on a not-for-kids picture book called Patrick the Spider with my cousin Jennifer, who you'll hear in two people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Nolan Nicolini, and I write sci-fi, fantasy, and nonfiction. Now, my name is Jennifer Stolzer. I'm an illustrator. I'm drawing spiders currently, Woo! as well as dogs and cats and anything anyone will ask me for. I also write fantasy and uh, and short stories and things. And she did a very nice logo for Right Back Radio. She and definitely did. Jennifer. Mm. You're welcome, you're welcome. Okay, let me actually steal from Fedora here and use that as our launch point. Fedora, you mentioned your main character um, in your novels as being a quote-unquote normal person. But a detective. But a detective. Detectives aren't normal. Not a geek. <laughs> They're right. pretty much what never is, normal, aren't What they? is normal versus geekdom? And, in fact, can you be a geek of anything, not just science fiction and fantasy? And I'm going to go ahead and say, in my own my own personal opinion, the answer is yes, most certainly. And I think this talk will kind of bear that out. But go ahead. I'm going to ask that question. What is normal versus geek? Well, I think normal at least in my frame of reference, is someone who tries to live within the society in which one finds oneself. <laughs> People who are excessively independent, they can be nerds, or they can be psychos, they can be a lot of different things, but someone who actually tries to live within the parameters that society gives them, that's my idea of normal. I like the uh, that you use try there. I like try. <laughs> My phrase is always normal people are weird people pretending. Yes. <laughs> because normal is what everyone wants you, what you think everyone wants you to be. You're, you're quelling your nerddom in order to fit in and not make yourself too especially notable. Now, I, I'd agree with that as long as there's the proviso that not everyone that tries not to fit in is automatically a nerd or a geek, because there's That's other true. ways you can try not to fit in. Well, I want to jump in then, because David said that he is of the opinion that everyone is nerdy in some way, geeky in some way. I share that opinion wholeheartedly. Like, I love it when people geek out about stuff. I don't really care if it's, like, a fantasy football game or, you know politics or I think this was the best spaghetti ever that I ate today or you know Star Wars I don't care 
they're geeking out about something because they love it and they know a lot about it. Yeah, but there are ways to not be trying to fit into the mainstream that aren't geeking out about it, is all I'm saying. Well, and yeah, also, isn't, like, uh, generically, the term refers to, like, a specific cluster of interests, though, doesn't it? You know, There's things more than like, one definition. Like start, well, you know, generally just things it's like the being... the difference between a noun and a verb. Geek. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Okay. But the, one thing, this... the one thing he... Sorry. I was going to say, I just want to jump right where he was going is that is a lot of people think that geeks... At least, let me rephrase that. A lot of people when I was growing up, when the term nerd and geek was really a bad word to be called, <laughs> thought that, oh, that was... You're nerdy, you're geeky because you liked either math, science, or science fiction. But actually, as genres are concerned, every genre has its geek. A few things that have come out with geek, of course, I'm going to choose sci-fi first because it's the easiest one to throw at. You've got Comic-Con. You've got science fiction nerds of Star Wars, Star Trek, Babylon 5, and I can keep going. Um, you've got superhero comic geeks. But we're not just limited there. Neither by con or by genre of where geekdom is. You've got mystery and thrillers with their con of Boucher Con, which if you are if you are a mystery fan and you love mysteries and science fiction, not science fiction, mystery and suspense thrillers, come to a Boucher Con if it comes to your area or go to one because it travels the country every year. Um, you also have movies that get made by crowdsourcing. For example, Veronica Mars, which was a TV hit. Its fans didn't want to let it go and they crowdsourced a movie that is right now, or at least was, out in the theaters and did pretty well last I saw. I really love that idea of crowdsourcing things, but go on. Yeah, because uh, I do want to come back to that too, so I'll let you have that. Um, also, too, you've got if you are a horror, hopefully it sounded correct rather than the other word, horror fan, um, there are horror fests around oh, the country. Horror. I'm trying to say that very carefully because I have a habit of saying that word with the Horribly. WH mm. instead of. H O R R H O. Well, usually they're I'm kind of involved. Horror. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Isn't there? Isn't there often a one where there's the other? This is yeah. not a horror show. Yeah. <laughs> so, a hor- <laughs> would a horror show be like a pimp convention? <laughs> <laughs> that would be that, awesome. That, now we have our Miami Vice geekdom so going. So is that like? Is that the uh, the I don't know sister convention whatever to the other show convention? Well. In the reality, there are, the- a lot of conventions do have a lot of um, of that other activity going along nearby it, let's just say. No need mm. for puns. Yeah. You yeah. can just, yeah. <laughs> right. you can go We're not back. here to talk about the pluses or minuses of attending Sex conventions. Sex and violence and all We're things. talking and about geekdom and nerddom. And there's one other geekdom Which- convention I'm going to throw in there. Doesn't involve sex, and I can't think of the name of the convention. I didn't say anything like I that. I couldn't. I couldn't resist. <laughs> You're in trouble, Matt. No, <laughs> there is other conventions out there that are not genre specific in the sense of science fiction, mystery, and so forth. There are science conventions that occur where science fiction fans attend, either to get information or where the scientists are out there presenting stuff to the fans because the fans know that area so well and are trying to get feedback or I- other ideas. I think um, the Starship Project is one of those. Anyway, go ahead, Kathleen. I cut you off. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, so, genre subculture is part of this title, and mainstream media is another part of this title, and those didn't tend to meet so much when I was younger, um, hmm. and I was thinking about the internet and how much that changed things for me, like, um, compared to people who I had read letters 
of like from their adult self to their 17 year old self. It's um, on a WordPress site or something. And um, these people, a bunch of them were geeky in high school. And they were, you know, writing back to themselves to say, you know, you're okay. There are so many more people like you. You just will not find them until the internet explodes. <laughs> and also cable and uh, just the, the variety of TV shows and everything that we have, the ability to choose what we take in seems to have had a big effect on um, what we actually I see on TV now. I think that's the big thing is that, like, uh, nerd entering the mainstream, I think, has a lot to do with improving technology and capitalism. And just well, the fact that there are so many more people in the world. Well, no, so many more choices. So now there aren't four networks. There yeah. are 200 cable channels. When you only There's a lot more room. When you only have four, you have to go for just broadest common denominator. But when you have a ton more, you can specialize. Sure. Uh, at a panel that I went to this weekend. At where? Uh, at uh, St. Louis Comic Con. That we're, we're dating this uh, this podcast right yes, now. Yes, we were at Wizard World. We were all at Wizard yeah. World Comic Con over the weekend. Well, we're not, else were, was. I'm so jealous. We're not always straight with you on the times, folks. <laughs> You'll just have to deal uh, with this. But there was a panel um, delivered by several local video game makers uh, on the panel were many people and I wish I had them in front of me but look them up you can probably find their lecture on YouTube actually but uh, they mentioned something about how games have risen through uh, what would be considered sometimes a dangerous uh, reputation and have grown and grown within the culture so now that you know adults are playing games and just how different people treat how differently they treat each other now that there's gaming involved one of the phrases I wanted to bring this up was uh, the language. The moderator mentioned she wrote a book about language, you know, game language and bringing gaming to non-gamers. And something that div- divided the two was that people who, sp- who like, spend their time gaming have their own uh, toolbox of words that they use. You know, man, we totally, uh, you know, I was totally tanking on that raid last night. I'm thinking I of one jargoned, more... Jargoned. And the... Uh, actually, uh, there's one phrase that I really hope they get rid of. <laughs> I don't know if you know what you're referring to. Well, it's... Uh, the point was that it was separating like parents and children. Parents didn't understand what the children were talking about. Like The one anecdote was about a son who would play Minecraft all day, and the father would distance himself from the son because he didn't understand what the son was talking about, and would then sort of shame his son for playing so much Minecraft because it was, oh, that's, that's silly game you're playing, and then not approving of that in that sort of a I-don't-want-to-be-involved way, and it put some friction between them. But the when the father took just an hour to sit down and see exactly what the game was about and understand, you know, he's talking about blocks, he's talking about creepers, he's talking about all these different mining things. Then, later, since he'd included himself in that world, and they felt a little bit closer, they both knew what they were talking about, when he said, hey, let's not play Minecraft this Saturday, let's go out to a park or something, the son didn't feel like he was being punished. So it was a lot of communication issues that needed bridging so that the one generation that didn't understand the game or in a larger sense, I guess, does not understand geekdom. Mm-hmm. Get off then, my lawn. Yeah. Is then, reali- then realizes, oh, that they were raking my lawn. Oops. Yeah, <laughs> That's exactly. what that thing was, that pitchfork-looking thing. 
Yeah. In an episode previously on the Right Pack, I kind of talked about the early version of what you just talked about. Mm -hmm. And that was Dungeons & Dragons when it first came out. There was even a movie with Tom Hanks, and I did confirm after that episode to look it up, and where Tom Hanks played a character um, in a story where he got lost inside the realm of real life, but inside the realm of Dungeons & Dragons or a Dungeons & Dragons-like game, and it played on this hysteria that was going on in the mainstream mm-hmm. that the geeks and that the players who loved the genre or loved the game understood the truth behind it whereas there was other pushes occurring and in the whole entire thrust of the movie was oh this game is so bad it breaks the people's minds and you you're going to need to put your kids in psychiatric care and mm-hmm. so forth which is definitely not the case and we still see it occurring. I think we're touching on something that is rather important here because I think that young people have always in the past created their own languages to exclude older people. And I think that gamers today do the same thing. That's, and it cuts both ways. That is, it is to exclude outsiders that aren't savvy mm-hmm. and to include you in a specialized group that you feel a real part of. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think genre does as well as these groups that we're talking about. And before mm-hmm. I turn this over to, over to Kathleen because she's next on, she rolls her hand next. But real quick, one difference between the time period I was talking about and the time period we have today, and you're 100% correct what you're saying, Fedora, is that in the time of the past, it was in a small community. We were all sitting around a table like we are here talking and we were playing the game. So your, your lingo slowly went out and sometimes would mingle with other people's lingos and things would come out to a normal, to a norm, if you will, of a lingo. Whereas in now games, your lingo is international, mostly worldwide, and it's become, and it's just gelling faster together. And thus you become a member of a community that's well outside your town, well outside your city, state, wherever you're at, and you become a world part of a world community. And go visit friends who you haven't met in real life like in real time, whatever, mm-hmm. but meet who you've space. known for years. Yes, yeah. meet space. And some people have even gotten married through games. I mean, they met on the game. They would say, hey, let's go meet. Oh, we got along so well for the last few years. Let's meet. Oh, wow, we really do get along. And they end up getting married. I mean, that's a short version. I remember several months ago, maybe even a year or two ago, that there was a case of a runaway. And these are, you know, runaway 13-year-old that they plan their runaway through gaming. <laughs> Good for them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad they got away from their parents. <laughs> they, got, they got found out pretty fast. Matt does not represent the feeling of the right pack as a whole. Right. I do represent my own feelings, though. Yes. <laughs> Statements made by certain members of this <laughs> right. are not representative. Right. I hope they made it to the coast but- <laughs> their own little life. <laughs> Go ahead. What I was thinking is genre in general has rules, and sometimes it's not even about languages, but it has conventions. And if you're familiar with the conventions, you understand it. So, for instance, um, my mom, who's not crazy about sci-fi, was picking up a sci-fi book, and it was just too hard for her to understand. I mean, she didn't enjoy it because it was too much work for her to get into the story because she didn't understand the... She couldn't pick out what was important to follow along and what wasn't. And, like, romances are another thing. There are things, there are a lot of romances. I can tell for the first three chapters, generally, you know, what are the key facts? Um, I took a a class on science fiction um, by Bill Orm, um, and he was really good about kind of letting us know, all of us geeky people who were in the class, because we loved Mm -hmm. the genre, um, that there is kind of a a code of, um, a code, a promise that the writer is making to the reader, and that um, genre readers, like sci-fi fantasy readers, know instinctively, because we've been reading them so much, we know kind of the pattern. 
if this happens, then this is what needs to happen by the end. Whereas or it's at least it's things, possible that this will happen. Whereas other things are important in other genres yeah. that, you know. And we also mm-hmm. know with, um, with books, sci-fi specifically, if we don't know what a term is and it's just been introduced, keep reading. It'll probably show up again and you'll understand it like within a couple pages. Yeah. And also, too, I'm glad you said other books, because every genre out there has its rules. Mm-hmm. Mystery is a very tightly written genre, generally speaking, and every, and it has a specific rules of be it the killer will be or the criminal will be found out in the end, and there will be justice. Or in the war, the the society will never be the justice justice that you're seeking. But you'll be introduced to the killer in the first half of the book. That's an unwritten right. rule that mo- you break it at your peril for a mystery. Well, see, I'm <laughs> just wondering, like. Why is it so hard for, like, your mom to learn the sci-fi conventions? And then, like, you're just like, mm-hmm. you want to do the work to pick up the mystery jargon? You're like, what is the difference there? Well, I think part of it with my mom, if she doesn't know what a word means, she wants to look it up. So it's really frustrating to her that there are all these words that she find can't them. find them. <laughs> and she knows, because she actually has read enough sci-fi to know, that if she just keeps reading, she'll get it from context. Right. But it's just too much... Again, she doesn't enjoy those types of world-building exercises in her head. Mm. It's not that she can't do it. It's that it's not fun for her. In science fiction, in fantasy, I'll even say this for the other genres, especially mystery, thriller, but I write that the Fedora write. What all these stories do is they recreate myth. We are writing the modern myth. Science fiction is a spe- science fiction fantasy are especially happily notorious for doing that but we are writing myth and let me use it let me go ahead and i'm going to show mystery and then i'm going to show science fiction real fast mystery hercule Poirot with uh, by dame agatha christie does anybody know where hercule Poirot's name first name came from hercules hercules his first 12 short story i think it's 12 was that the first one his first short stories oh, yeah. were based on... The Labors of Hercules. The Labors of Hercules. Oh, was I read it. Murders. You gave us a hint when you said the number. Yeah. Yeah. Then let's look at Star Wars. Oh, just to be geeky about that, that wasn't the first book. The first book that he appeared in was Mystery at Styles. Yeah, but... <laughs> you're, you're established as geeky. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Technically correct. <laughs> the best kind. So, right, so. The whole entire background of Star Wars is based on various different religions that George Lucas looked into. Oh, the hero of a thousand faces. And the that hero was of really, a thousand faces. That was one of those books that like everyone in Hollywood read for uh-huh. ten years. Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell. And yeah. um, one thing, from what I understand and what I read, what I've, actually no, I did not read it. I watched it on the Masters of Science Fiction. I believe was the name of the show at the time. George Lucas was actually in a car accident because he had a different pl- path that he was going to go down in, in a career. He was, Dark side. Yes, he was going down the dark side, maybe in a corporate world. I don't know. <laughs> he just uh, didn't have his debate lights on. on whether or not he was headed to the dark side or ended up at the dark side. Okay. <laughs> okay. But anyway, he ended up in a car accident, ended up in the hospital for quite a while, and that's what he, he ended up reading Joseph Campbell, and that's what slowly began the process. Now, I want to go back to one thing real fast before we lose it. Matt had talked about, um, and I had brought up about Veronica Mars being crowdsourced. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if anybody out there knows, but there are multiple 
if you're a Star Trek fan, there are multiple Star Trek fanfic fan movies that are coming out and they have been out or fan series that come fan, out fan films fan films yeah not movies fan films fan <laughs> films sorry wrong <laughs> wrong geeky term by apologies alliteration yes um, but two of them in fact are being created with big stars in them um, for example two two Star Trek stars Walter Koenig and Tim Russ are creating one called Star Trek Renegades and they are crowdsourcing and they've been getting lots of money to do this and by the way it's legal to do they found a way to do it because people are donating they're not buying right and another one that's been done that's being done and has last time i saw had rose i think in the six digit now Hmm. financing wise and they're getting ready to actually use a lot of that money to film the real to fund the real film that's behind what they were getting the crowdsourcing for the first time and that is axanar the battle of axanar which in star trek world yes okay Okay, here I go super geek. Go for it. Axanar is the four, part of the four-year war between the Federation and the Klingons. Basically, the gloves came off and they went at it. And one of the main characters in this film is a hero to James D. Kirk. Now, who's starring in this? Richard Hatch. Um, Michael Hogan from Battlestar Galactica. Richard Hatch is from both Battlestar Galacticas. Um, oh, my mind just went blank, but a very well-known villain, or another, I'm sorry, I can't think of the actor's name, but he played Martok in Star Trek uh, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and there's other ones that are they're volunteering their time, whatever, to get this out, and it's because of the love of the genre and See, of the characters. That's the thing with the crowdsourcing. This was really exciting to me about it is that uh, how your movie is financed or how anything is financed defines a lot of how it's made. And uh, behind every like Hollywood movie, every Hollywood big blockbuster, there's a dude in a suit who would just as easily be working at an applesauce company. <laughs> He has no he has no creative impulses. He doesn't have any kind of vision. He is He's, thinking about the bottom line. You respect that man. He is thinking about the bottom line and he wants it to be like applesauce and where it's like you do the same thing each time and you get the same profit each time and it's reliable and then you cut labor costs or whatever. But um, it's not like that in movies. The same thing won't work twice. Crowdsourcing is great because it comes out of love. Donations, like those people are just offering their money. They're they don't expect to get anything out of it other they than hope the profit, to. <laughs> other than the product. Yeah, that's yeah. all they want. It's love, and that's like that's going to give the artists involved so much more freedom to just do the things they think are right and just try to utilize that money as best they can. And there isn't a cynical asshole in a suit and a tie <laughs> looking to just undercut everything. Just just real quick, a couple of examples that you can see this in work is watch the movie Hitchcock, which is all about Alfred Hitchcock creating Psycho. There, you not only have the asshole in a suit, to borrow Matt's term, you also had back then an entire bureau that was that dealt with um, standards. standards and whether or not things were too <laughs> racy and so forth. Another thing to do is get your hands on any interview with Gene Roddenberry where he's talking about the beginnings of Star Trek. And you will hear what he had to go through to do this. I'm not sure who was next. Uh, I was just going to bring up that crowdsourcing is nice at all, uh, but two very different examples. Uh, since there's no, since the, all the power is in the creator's hand, uh, you're not guaranteed to get what you think you want. 
and there's a certain uh, false ownership for those who uh, kick in large amounts of money sometimes. Uh, an example of this working properly is uh, Double Fine, and they just uh, broke records by kickstarting their uh, point-and-click adventure Broken Age, which they got you know, millions more than they planned and made something truly beautiful that everyone seems to love. On the other hand, uh, there's Oculus, which was just recently purchased by Facebook. People kickstarted, kick the, they kicked into Oculus to produce the Oculus Rift, which is a VR headset for oh, video man. game. And then Oculus, they produced the headset, it was looking good, people were getting really excited about it, and then Facebook bought them. And some specific investors were very upset by this. They thought since they'd invested a lot of money, they had a right to speak up about whether, you know, where the company was going. So there's a, there's a little friction when you're looking at kickstarting as kickstarting gets really big and becomes a viable means of funding well, things. That's a business school problem is they teach them there that every startup wants to get bought. Mm-hmm. None of them think, maybe we should just stick it out and own our own thing. I think that by, the purchase of Oculus by Facebook is actually a really good idea. I might be in the minority, but... That's the topic for another time. Matt loves to talk about love, and he was talking about love earlier, but I wonder where's the love for the people who originally created the create the uh, creation, the characters, the Klingons, but Jaja Binks, whoever <laughs> Jar Jar Binks. Where's the love for them? Because uh, there is, no love. There is no love for Jar Jar Binks. And they're the ones that created it in the first place. Don't they deserve something? Well, that's what uh, that's for hire. What? What? I'm confused about the question. I, if I'm following like the it, people who um, people say, like us who do the writing in the first place. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I they think, kind of got left yeah. out of your equation, didn't they? Well, I not, guess no. not really. I think he was no. It was implicit that the people making the movie were the ones that were responsible for the created act. Well, that's the, I didn't hear that. That's the people who, like, the donations, those are the people that the donations will get thrown at. Because they're the ones who, like, making, like, writing things is not a good financial investment. You're, you're not going to do it as, like, a... Just a cynical like I want to make a lot of I want to make a lot of dosh. I'm just gonna write a book and people will love it. It's not a good you plan. Mean that doesn't happen. Well, and just for the record, no, it doesn't. Oh, <laughs> Go ahead. It happens sometimes, but it's like getting hit by a comet when you're in orbit <laughs> around the sun. Yeah. Like it's probably it's not gonna happen. Statistically <laughs> slim. Well, how does it feel though if somebody steals it from you, even well, if it wasn't worth this, any money? This is, in the first great, place. this is a great lead into another part of geekdom. Which is fanfic? Oh, the Steelers! Piracy. Let's burn them all. Hey, hey, hey! (laughs) And I think I've said this on a previous um, episode of Right Back. I forget which one, but there has been always a debate in the writing field, okay, about fanfic. Does it count? Is it good? And a lot of times, authors will literally say at a convention or at a conference something along the lines of what I'm about to quote, and that is, "Fanfic does not exist. If it exists." And by the way, I might love reading what you're writing. If it exists, and I that means I have to acknowledge it exists, which means somebody on my staff or in my agents or my publishers would have to sue for break of copyright. Thus, as far as I am concerned, fanfic does not exist. There's a way around there that. There are ways around it, but you... But you are playing with other people's copyrights. Star Star Trek fanfic. Originally, I don't. There is the novels that are blessed by Paramount to be Star Trek. The expanded novels. universe. The expanded universe. I call that fanfic. Just published fanfic. And then there's fanfic. Fanfic. 
<laughs> and Paramount originally started going after those people for breaking the copyright. Now, I don't know what caused them to back off. But something ba- something caused them to back off and go. The oh, fan wait a rebellion. That's yeah. what caused them to back off. They're like, oh, rebellion. we're we're That's killing our fan base. Yeah, they, yeah, some asshole in a suit made a cost benefit <laughs> analysis. <laughs> and he was wrong. Are you going to have to bleep me later? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is rated PG-13. We're good. Okay, um, some jerk in a suit. Okay, good because that was your last a, your last a, one before we have to. Yeah, <laughs> made a cost benefit analysis and figured out that they would lose more from the fans leaving than they would get out of protecting it. Yes, right. Um, I do want to point out that I love fan fiction. I write fan fiction. I have a lot of friends in fan fiction. All that stuff. Okay, and. I know of a bunch of writers who started out in fan fiction and kind of got their under-the-bed novels, like the ones that you could never publish because they're just horrible, got like all the writing kinks out of their systems. They practiced. Yes. And they practiced in in public. Where people, they could put it on fanfiction.net and somebody would give it a minus 12. Uh And and they would learn. You can't do that on fanfiction.net. Oh. There's no rating. (laughs) You get a bad comment. All right, so, um, yeah, so there's that. And then they went on to publish um, their stories that were their own, not fan works at all, um, professionally. And uh, it's sort of like in in art. You go to a painting. One of the earlier things you do is make copies of the masterpieces. You're expected yeah. to, to yeah. learn how things work. And right. I think that's something a lot of fan fiction writers, mm. at least in my experience, have been have learned through trying to create or recreate other people's characters. Some of the most horrifically self-indulgent things I've ever written were fan fiction. Yeah. I self-inserted myself into Sailor Moon and I saved all their butts. Yeah. I will have you know <laughs> that when I was in first grade... I did that on the Starship Enterprise, so it's not. There was no internet at yeah. that point, so it's it's a thing that people oh, do. So you wrote the original Mary Sue. No, well, I've read the original no. Mary Sue. It was published in a magazine. I don't remember the name of the magazine. It's really entertaining. It's a poem. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a poem. It was sort of like a parody of the of the Mary Sue writing, but that's where the term Mary Sue came from. And it's and if you can find it, which I'm not helping much with, you may be doing a Google search for the original Mary Sue. But it's I'm a sure, cute. probably it's on Wikipedia. Even probably even though Kathleen thinks she saved the Enterprise more times than she can count. No, 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 just being, the once. I published okay. that okay. <laughs> in my class. Oh, really? Where I illustrated it, going, too. Going, <laughs> going super geekdom here, former and still currently a game master for Star Trek the role-playing game on the original FASA series. Yeah, the Enterprise was saved multiple times. Yeah. And as well as other starships. A game master, by the by, or a dungeon master, if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, same term, is the evil mastermind behind the plot that you, the player, are putting your character through. The dungeon master, the game master, is always trying to kill you. Especially not true. true. Just to explain, maybe I just always end up being nearly dead. I freak out. Get get that nerdum out there. Everyone's now in the Dungeons and Dragons fandom because they all know what a a dungeon master is. Oh, yes, so much. So much now that they're having a D&D next instead of 5th edition. There you go. <laughs> oh, can I then... Can I also mention that there are RPGs, role-playing games, for TV shows and movies yes. and stuff? Like Firefly? Like Firefly. Someone was getting their There's... manual signed by Nathan Fillion over the weekend. Oh, I saw them oh, in oh. line. Did you tell them your toaster in there nearly killed me? I didn't get to actually talk oh. to Nathan Fillion, but yeah, that toaster was evil. It was. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Firefly, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, 
TV shows have RPGs. Yeah, I'm going to take you back um, even backwards in time because I've been playing RPGs. My parents would never love to hear me say this because they were the original mindset, oh, RPGs are horrid and they will take you to hell type aspect. They were what? Horrid. Horrible. Oh, okay. Wrong word you thought I said. (laughs) I just wanted to be sure. You wanted to bring it back to the beginning of this. But (laughs) you had... You did have um, Dungeons and Dragons originally. You well, actually it was um, Roundheads or something before that, which is what Dungeons and Dragons became. Um, you had besides Star Trek the role playing game. You had the superhero comics Marvel had turned into a role playing game. You had Battlestar Galactica, the old version, who was turned into a into a role playing game. You had James Bond turned into a role playing game. So all you all the people out in the world who who don't want to claim they're geeks but are James Bond fans. Guess what? You are part of a geekdom. Settle in. Okay. Um, so I just realized you were talking about the early back in the day. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And. Yes, I can keep going with that. Go ahead. And I've also been thinking about the TV shows that are on television right now, full of vampires, you know, Mainstream. superheroes, witches, all that stuff. Mainstream. Spreading, spreading Mainstream. the culture. Exactly. And uh, people who would never have read the Game of Thrones series. If I had handed it to them, are now like enthralled by the TV show, and I'm wondering, is it cool to be geeky now? And are people who were geeky before, like, admittedly, are, are we hipsters? Can I add, no, can I'm I add not one? a hipster. I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna add one question. Yeah, we're not. I'm ready to be a hipster. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna add Bring one, one question. <laughs> one question that I want everyone to answer as well as what Kathleen just asked is, what's gonna, what do you perceive going to happen in the future if? Geekdom comes out of fashion. Oh. Everything goes in and out. We go exactly right back to where we came from. The yeah. internet. We'll be back home again. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone on a grand adventure, and now we're back in the shop. Yeah, it's like there's a castle, you know, which is which is the, the geekdom, and then there's like some outlying hamlets. <laughs> what's what's going to happen is the Mongols are going to show up. <laughs> They're just going to burn and pillage. All those outlying forces, we're going to be safe in our walls. All that's going to be left is the nerds and the village full of fantasy football players. Uh, although, in this, metaphor, in this metaphor, Mongols are uh, How about the orcs lack from, of fashion. How about the orcs from um, from the Lord of the Rings right, going up against the main city? Ah, yeah. okay. There you go. The that, white that, city. Wait, yeah, the white wait, 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 wait. Do, we get elves? Do we get hot elves? I can we have elves? elves? Because I'm then elves. I'm okay with it. There's no Legolas in this. <laughs> oh, hey, wait a minute. I can shoot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, okay. But we wait a minute. With, somehow. With the internet. I'm not sure that it will actually go out of fashion. I think it will be less popular because with the internet and with all these different choices, they'll always be a niche. The difference is it'll become a niche thing again. And it'll be more of an in-group versus out-group instead of mainstream. Well, maybe it'll never really go out of fashion. I mean, it's entirely possible that now that, like, the internet exists, and there aren't, like, four channels on the television no, I'm or saying just that the it, radio... It'll always, my point is it'll always be there and it'll always yeah. be available, but we might not be getting the TV... Well, we'll still be getting the TV, actually, because there's 20, 200 channels now. Well, but not it's everyone, a dead the, technology. The, but... the ratings will be lower. <laughs> I believe that the Big Bang Theory will never end. So I have a feeling... <laughs> Uh, nerddom will never end as long as people are they'll, exposed to it through the Big Bang Theory. They're like any other sitcom. They'll run out of ideas eventually. 
I've I'm got sure. one thing to say, but I'm going to let Donna go first, and then... <laughs> go ahead. Well, I forgot what it was. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> so real fast. We're so off topic, oh, we God. wiped it from your brain. Real fast, so before, I, before I lose it, because of what Jen just said. Well, a lot of times what you're seeing now in mainstream television is a combination of the genres and a throwback or a throw to other geek fandoms. Let me use Castle. Castle, those of you who don't know, somehow were buried under a rock. The In which Nathan, case, they need to find you. Yes, Nathan Fillion came through Firefly and some other Joss Wheaton stuff, and here he is on Castle. And if you ever watch Castle, the a lot of the lines that he uses either are written by the writers or things that he does himself that are allusions to Firefly as throwing it up to the which other Which I always thought Enterprise things. needed more Quantum Leap references. Yeah. I really thought they did. That would have kept it alive. That yeah. That's a really weird thing to want. <laughs> no, no, it's I thought not. I it improved it. Quantum Leap, man. <laughs> One of you, either one of you two. Um, I'm retarded. <laughs> I'm wondering though, will genres ever really be out of fashion? And I ask this because there are sci-fi books that I have not read in sci-fi English classes mm-hmm. that are not considered sci-fi or shelved with the sci-fi, but oh my goodness, they are dystopias. Mm-hmm. I think the are genres we... will change. It- I think the Whoa. whole thing has a whole lot to do with money. Yeah, money, yes. money, money, money. Because if you Apple don't sauce. have money, a great deal of affluence, you cannot afford this niche stuff. You've got to work your butt off all day long and all night too, probably. Mm-hmm. Yes, agreed. No, but I think the um, the genres crossing genres. In fact, I think uh, my uh, one of my lifetime goals is to write at least a short story in every genre. So right now, the sci-fi story that I'm it's a sp- set in another spaceship. So clearly, outer space science fiction. But it's a murder mystery. So that's genre crossing. I think hey, genre crossing. Yeah, you're mixing your genres. But it's very popular as long as you people like reading it. The problem is it's harder to sell it. Well, <laughs> genre crossing has been happening forever. Forever. Decades. Yes. Well, it's a good Except way to sell genres. Yeah. yeah. Genres are just to sell something. Books seldom fall, like for instance. They're loose categories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Loose categories, yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of thrillers have a romance element. A lot yes. of romances are also something else. Uh yeah, um, you know, catching can help it. the the Hunger Games stuff because I finally saw that movie, the first one. Yeah. Oh. Is it like? I only saw it. Wow. Go ahead. She's been putting it off. I go on, go on, go on, go on, keep going, keep going. I a saw dystopian it. adventure, a romance. Like I wouldn't what? call it a romance. Nah, no, it's not the a romance. romance. Was kind of. Wasn't the romance like the primary part though? No, no. it was saving the sister. In- in the movie, maybe. Wait, wait. But no. She saves the sister in the first, like, five minutes. Now, everyone, everyone please note the no arguments. now. I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for proving yeah. my point. But, uh, yeah, like, it's it's a lot of... Okay, uh, genres might be one of those things, like stereotypes or any other kind of thing, where uh, our broad categories are actually uh, not relevant to reality very much and they're really just for ease of mind yes they're like tags more for, than anything else mm-hmm. you can tag something 50 ways yeah you and know it annoys mm-hmm. some authors more than others and it annoys some people more than others it annoys me personally that charlene harris all of her books are with the mystery sections at the local library even the books that have vampires in them you know mm. that is probably why i've been unable to find certain books in certain vampire and werewolf and sister series that's why the card catalog is, is your friend the paranormal the paranormal investigation series i love paranormal investigation Oh, that's, I, um, I need to introduce you to an author. Go ahead, though. That's like procedural crime stories meets fantasy. Mm-hmm. No, but 
This so, is why you look it up in the catalog. That will tell you what section it is. And different libraries put them in different sections. It's not just Folks, the libraries. If you take nothing stores. else from this session, look at your card catalog. <laughs> yeah. Or the They're computer, online now. Because that's where it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They got rid of card catalogs after the Ghostbusters went in and like <laughs> I still want one of those as furniture in my house. <laughs> yeah. I remember being taught in grade school how to use a card catalog. Anyway, back back, back, to, back to geekdom and yes. oh, genres. card catalogs. Yes. Geekdom and Main Street. Right rest in peace the Dewey Decimal System. Yes, go on. Anyway, so what do you think is is there anything out there that is not geeky? Or could not be geeky. Geeky. Could not be geeky. Well, I think I've heard some kind of definition of geekdom, uh-huh. which is just like being abnormally interested in something. Like, uh, I think genres are for people who aren't terribly interested in books. You know, they're like... Genres make it easier for people yeah. who aren't terribly interested, but it's frankly, for... people that are interested like them too, because it also is a guidepost. It's like, well... You know? Well, yeah, but if you're like a person who's interested, you understand that they're just guideposts. If you're a person who's not that interested, you think they're like absolute. Mm-hmm. But That's true. It's just to make things easier for those people who to sell their stuff. You know, they're not going to overcome hurdles to get into your book. Twelve labors. So, right. so you're saying that genrefication. <laughs> Is, nice work. I like uh, it. It's our normals. Is for the people who don't actually know anything about it. It's yes. like the label on the box. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit different from where Matt's going with that. And I'm so, not trying to be condescending about this. I understand you have other things on your plate, but you, that's how it is. Chef applesauce makers, you. I'm gonna go to Melanie's mom for a second. I hate applesauce. <laughs> if, you think, if you think back to early part of this conversation, which God knows when it occurred. Yeah. Melanie's mom, Melanie was talking about her mom does not read science fiction because she gets lost in it, basically. I think one thing with genres is that it tells the reader what rules to expect yeah. in a story. It doesn't matter if you are if you are genre mixing, and believe me, I genre blend like crazy. But if you are genre blending, you are following the rules of each of those genres but putting them together. And if you break one of those rules, then you're not in that genre, technically. You better have opinion. a good reason. Yeah. You better have a good reason. Yeah, that's the so, thing. You can break a rule, but have a good reason. To uh, to use the a geometry reference, mm-hmm. you know, every Whoa. square is a rectangle, but not every rectangle is a square. Right. Every, uh, you can have a romantic story in any situation, but only in certain situations is it actually a romance novel. Okay, it's mm-hmm. the analyst, um, Within here's the evidence is Star Wars, the first three, or actually either of them, but mostly is Star Wars with Han and Leia. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought a it was Luke romance. That's part where we yeah, didn't that's, know. That's the yeah. first one. Yeah. Yeah. And she was just trying she to make is the only, jealous. She is the only... Oh. Nah, that's what they she said. Is the only, that's not our debate right now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but the question is, is well, would that be considered to be a romance? I think huh? that romance is a, a part of it. It's a subplot. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like... romantic. Yes, it is romantic, but that is not the main storyline. And the main storyline... Is about a guy who becomes a Jedi and then decides to forego women forever. And well, also he, he has to rescue his father. According to uh, the rules of the Jedi Order, Set forth in the in the three prequels, he has to have a sterile, weird alien existence from now on. Well, yeah, okay. he, he 
Mandalorian's a priest. The Mandalorians will take care which of that is, for Which him. tells you a lot more about George Lucas than it tells you about anything else. Well, but, I would okay, second so that, yes. s- I would say that the subplot for Luke and Leia is a romance, so it had a romance for a subplot. Now, the first one... You mean Luke and Han? Uh, I mean, yeah. No! No, that's a fan fiction! What are you doing? Luke slash Han? You oh, dirty... Hey, I will have you know I just wow. probably the hottest thing ever. Just for the record, I'm going to red. Okay, anyway. Wait, which one comes before the slash? And I forget what that means. Uh, it depends on who's topping. Yes. Or which, what order you choose is to the one is the, is the one ahead of the slash the one that's on top? Okay, let's get back to this. Stop, stop, stop. Sound off in the comment section if you have an opinion. Yes. What I was about to say is Amidalo and Anakin Skywalker technically wouldn't count as a romance because apparently romances can't end tragically according to the modern definitions of the genre. But you also really? need they didn't read yeah, well, if it's a character. You need to have novel. characters oh. to have a romance. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have a romance between two planks of wood. So therefore, <laughs> it is not a romance. She had to deliver those lines like everyone else. I know. I know. But one thing, I'll just say this. No, I'm not. That's off, that's off the topic. Yeah, we're done. Um, <laughs> I like wow. though that I can like read a comic book in in public and not have people look at me funny now. Yeah, like, I do too. I used oh, to read Kindles. Sandman in public, and it was like, what is wrong with that child? Uh, Kindles, ebooks are really useful for that because oh, you can yes. read any book you want, and people don't know they don't see the embarrassing covers anymore. They don't yes. even know that you're reading smut. Right, or that ba- you're reading. Well, you might be playing Candy Crush. Right, but back to comic book. How many of you have walked through a comic book store lately and noticed what's being turned into? comic Comic book. Yes. All the things. Twilight. Well, no, no, no I, I, okay. Really? Well, yeah. Oh, okay. Let, okay. Let me let me get away from let me get away from the Twilight series. I'm sorry. And in fact, I'm even going to get away from some of the my uh, in my opinion better stories that have been being turned into it. But let's t- let's go to the classic. Mm. Robert Louis Stevenson's novels are being turned into uh, comic books. I hear Abe um, Lincoln Sherlock- hunts vampires now. What? I hear yeah, Abe but that's Lincoln not a comic vampires. book. That's a novel. Yeah, that's- yeah but sure, it's still it's a genre match. That was a novel? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was a good novel. But staying with what I'm trying to say, Jane Austen's some of Jane Austen's novels Sorry, are just, being turned into. I just into. went to Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. What would you say about <laughs> League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which has characters mm. from a bunch of different classics oh, that all coming together? Oh, Ultimate Fan No, no, no. It's a, it's a, <laughs> I know it was a comic, it's a comic book, too. <laughs> it was a comic book first. It was a lot better. You will respect Sean Connery. Yes. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yes, that was genre mesh. That, that trend interests me because it feels like people are reading graphic novels more mm-hmm. than they're reading actual novels. Why well, can't we call them comic both. books? Because I was using the word novel twice in the same sentence. (laughs) Oh. I don't like the... I'll just go out. I don't like the term graphic novel. They're comic books. You don't need to dress them up. They're comic books. They were always good. The difference is length. Yes. Length, I would think. and whether it ends. Right. Like, if it's a graphic novel is a complete story that's big. That takes up numerous... Would take up numerous comic books. Or a big trade paperback. Think think of trade book. Yeah, think of a trade book, but being a complete novel inside that trade book. That's a graphic novel. It's a novel with pictures. Yeah. Well, okay. If it has some like technical meaning, I'm fine with it. Yeah. 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 Thank you. It's a novel told in pictures. If nothing else, take away that graphic novels are an okay term. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we've all learned something today. And on that note, I hate to cut this short because this conversation has been fun, (laughs) and I. 
if nothing else, hopefully entertaining to our listeners. Please, as Jen said earlier, leave comments. You can leave comments on the Right Pack page on Blog Talk Radio, where you are probably listening to this. You can leave comments on our Facebook page, or you can also send us tweets at Right Pack Radio. Uh, especially leave comments if you are a an out and proud geek and you've been seeing people who are not necessarily like you coming into your culture and how you feel about it. Outsiders. And if you have just discovered the wonders of geekery and are totally in love and want to know all the things and how it's been to learn about something that you may not have understood before. You outsider. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us your thoughts. We want to know. Please, we do want to know. We want, we want to hear from you. We also, want to too, convert you. Though we have lots of topics we can cover. Um, one of our, la- our two, two or three episodes ago came at, from one of our listeners. And that was a question about utopia versus dystopia. Send us your ideas. If you want us to cover something, send us your ideas and we may turn it into an episode. So thank you all for listening and catch us next week on Right Pack Radio. Theme songs for Right Pack Radio were written and performed by Meredith Tate. All copyrights remain with her. Right Pack Radio would like to thank STL Books for allowing us to record in their office. STL Books is a online bookstore specializing in new and used high-quality literature, children's books, and books written by or about St. Louis. Please visit them online at www.stlbooks.com or find their store on the Amazon.com website.